Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 11, in the first part of a sermon series called Reclaiming a Passion for Heaven, with this message from September 8th titled The Whispers of Eternity. When was the last time you found yourself thinking about and hoping for heaven? When was the last time excitement and anticipation welled up within you as you reflected on your heavenly destination? When was the last time you were overwhelmed with amazement and wonderment when you considered your eternal home? I'm sure that you have heard the warning Be careful of being so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. But Dan Schaefer in his book, A Better Country, Preparing for Heaven, responds to that statement by saying, most Christians I've met are in little danger of that. They think such small impoverished thoughts about heaven, yet most profess that they can't wait to get there. You will often find, however, that someone's desire to go to heaven is far more attached to some current trial or suffering they want to escape on earth rather than a desire for their idea of heaven itself. When the trial passes and their earthly lives get better, often their passionate desire to go to heaven subsides. Heaven for some is mere escapism from trouble. The Bible is clear that heaven is to be in the very forefront of our thinking. We are not to put heaven out of our mind or set it to the side. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Dan Schaefer further wrote, Our outlook on the most important things in life springs from our understanding or misunderstanding of heaven. We can deal with the loss of our loved ones in Christ precisely because we believe we will see them again in heaven. We can deal with suffering and difficulty precisely because we take comfort that our present troubles in this life are temporary, but heaven and glory are forever. We can accept loss and reversal of fortunes precisely because our belief in heaven reminds us that our real treasure is in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. This morning, I'm beginning a four-part sermon series, which I am titling, Reclaiming a Passion for Heaven. When it comes to the topic of heaven, we have so many questions. What happens when believers die? What kind of bodies will we have in heaven? Will we recognize other people in heaven? Will there be rewards in heaven? What will we do in heaven? What does the Bible mean when it talks about the new Jerusalem and, and a new heaven and a new earth? Well, hopefully some of your questions will be answered as we go through this series. But most importantly, I pray that we will learn to live with heaven on our mind and in so doing, bring honor and glory to Jesus as we continue to journey through life on this earth. But in talking about heaven, the first matter we must address is this. Where do we get reliable information on this subject? In other words, where do we get real answers for the questions we have about heaven? Well, the answer, of course, is the Bible, God's word. 
In the book of Revelation, God gave John a vision of heaven. And he said to him, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Only the Bible gives us trustworthy details and information about the Bible. And concerning this, Billy Graham once said, the Bible doesn't tell us everything we like to know about heaven, but the Bible does tell us everything we need to know about heaven while we are here on earth. If you and I want to know about heaven, then we need to go to the Bible because the Bible, only the Bible gives us those trustworthy answers. To begin this series, I would have us consider a passage found in the book of Ecclesiastes. Many believe that Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. And so with that in mind, turn to chapter 3 and follow as I read verses 1 to 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has a worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. This passage was written by a frustrated, disillusioned man who became dissatisfied with life on earth. He achieved far more than any of us ever will. He enjoyed phenomenal wealth, but he found his success to be empty and unfulfilling. His conclusion was it's all meaningless. It's vanity. It's chasing after the wind. There has to be something more. But occasionally throughout the book, he shares some spiritual insights and spiritual truth that we ought to pay attention to. And in this particular passage, Solomon says that God is sovereign over the rhythms and the seasons of life. And to these seasons and rhythms, he brings meaning and he brings purpose. Therefore, when we look at life with an eternal and divine focus, we will see how the pieces of the puzzle of life fit together. But Solomon also came to this conclusion. He said, God has put eternity into man's heart. I think that Solomon is saying that God has placed within every human being's heart, a hunger and a longing for eternity. As human beings, we long for heaven because we were made for it. We who were originally designed by God for Eden, an eternal existence in a perfect place, still feel the pull inside of us for the life that we were designed for. Though we lost that perfect existence, we can still feel the loss. 
In his writing, C.S. Lewis spoke of an inconsolable longing in the human heart for what, for we know not what. He describes it as a desire for our own far off country, for something that has never actually appeared in our existence. And he called it that unnameable something. For Lewis, this longing or yearning became for something inexpressible was a key factor in his Christian conversion. And he goes on to argue that this intrinsic facet of human nature is present in all of us to one degree or another, whether or not we recognize it as such. And he would caution against dismissing it as nostalgia and romanticism and adolescence. Rather, he would urge that we embrace it with thanksgiving as a divine gift wired into us by our creator to draw our hearts and imaginations beyond this present world toward ultimate realities. And Dan Schaefer would agree. Again, quoting him, he said, whether we know it or not, eternity is whispering to us continually, even if we don't completely understand it. What God has placed inside of us cannot be turned off. It can only be tuned out. What God has placed inside of us cannot be turned off. It can only be tuned out. And if we tune out that which God has placed in our heart, we do so at our own peril. So let me share with you four indicators that eternity is whispering to us continually. That God has placed eternity in the hearts of man. First, there is a curiosity in the heart of man concerning the future. There's a curiosity and and an intrigue and a fascination concerning the future. The word eternity is used by Solomon can be expanded to mean curiosity about our future. In other words, God has not only put things into perspective by having a timetable in which events run their course with the rhythms and seasons of life, but he has also put into every human being's heart, a curiosity about tomorrow, an eternal capacity that prompts us to probe, to be intrigued, to search, to wonder. The largest pyramid in Egypt was built by Pharaoh Khufu around 2550 BC in Giza and towers some 481 feet above the plateau. It's estimated 2.3 million stone blocks each weigh an average of 2.5 to 15 tons. Studies have revealed that it took around 6,700 highly skilled men plus slaves and 20 years of labor to build. Why did Khufu put such a huge effort into building himself a tomb? The Egyptians believed in life after death. They had a premonition, a curiosity concerning the future. And in our day and age, man's curiosity about the future is evidenced by the number of appointments made with fortune tellers, with tarot card and palm readers and mediums. Also consider the number of books and articles that are in print about people who purport to have died, gone to heaven and returned to earth to share their experiences. In 2010, Tyndale House Publishers published the book, The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven, and the subtitle, A True Story. It sold more than one million copies and spent months on the New York Times bestseller list. I should point out that Alex Malarkey, the one who apparently had gone to heaven, and the co-author of the book, has dramatically renounced the book, saying, I did not go to heaven, I said I went to heaven because I thought it would get me attention. 
Following that was a book, Heaven is for Real, a memoir about a four-year-old Colton Burpo's experience that was eventually adapted into a movie. This book sold 7.5 million copies. Time Magazine published a cover story in 2012 titled Rethinking Heaven, opening with Burpo's story about seeing a rainbow horse and meeting the Virgin Mary. 19 Minutes in Heaven by Don Piper sold 1.6 million copies. Proof of Heaven topped the New York Times bestseller list for months. In it, Harvard-trained neurosurgeon Eben Alexander tells about his near-death experience. He claims that while in a coma for seven days, he was guided by a beautiful girl riding a giant butterfly. He was uh, flying around the invisible spiritual side of existence. He said he also encountered God, whom he calls Om, short for omniscient and omnipotent, an unconditionally loving God. Other books include Flight to Heaven. To heaven and back, and miracles from heaven. What do we do with such books? That's why I said at the very beginning, what we need to do when we talk about heaven is go to the Bible, the source of truth, those words which are, which are true and trustworthy. I've conducted many funerals for individuals who I don't think knew Jesus Christ personally. And where their family members did not know Christ. And yet so many of them would say about their deceased loved one. Well, they are in a better place. There seems to be that fascination, that perspective, that outlook, that there is something beyond this life. And so to me, these books and articles indicate that man has a fascination, a curiosity concerning the eternal, concerning heaven. But it is a God-given curiosity. However, this God-given curiosity will never be satisfied unless we seek God. Our hunger and longing about and for eternity will never be satisfied through fortune tellers and mediums or through outlandish stories, but only through God and his divine word. Well, another indicator that God has put eternity in our heart is that there is an awareness in the heart of man concerning God. In his book, Eternity in Their Hearts, Missionary Don Richardson presents startling evidence of this principle. Having studied cultures around the world, he discovered terms and concepts related to the one true God embedded in everyone, preparing them for the gospel. Now, people may try to stuff it, suppress it, reject it, or deny it, but whether they admit it or not, all have a general awareness of God. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. For what, can we, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made and Paul's conclusion. So they are without excuse. You see, one thing we learned from this passage, according to verse 19 is that God has made plain to us what may be known about him. For example, he has revealed himself, certain things about himself through creation. Creation testifies to God's eternal power and his eternal nature. You can't have a creation without a creator. And the creator of all things by definition is uncreated. He who is uncreated has no beginning, which means that God is eternal. If we look closely, we can see God's fingerprints in creation. 
And his fingerprints are like clues to his existence. And these clues about God are not empirical proofs of God. And many agnostics and atheists will argue that the existence of God cannot be proven by such things. But with so many clues all around us, most peoples and cultures recognize that someone is behind it all. For example, if a CSI team finds fingerprints at a scene, they know there's a chance that they can get a positive ID on who was there. Investigators look for forensic evidence, the telltale clues that are left behind, even though there is no eyewitness. Well, the world is full of the fingerprints of God. His presence and his activity can be seen everywhere. We can see the forensic evidence. And if we continue to search, the clues begin to add up. But God has also revealed certain things about himself through our conscience. We all have a sense of right and wrong, that there will be some kind of an accounting for our actions. We know that there is more to life than just the random choices we make. Our consciences testify to us daily that there are a God, that there is a God and we are accountable to him. What all this means is that the eternal God who created us in his image, put eternity in our heart. Therefore, all people have a general knowledge of God. God has made plain to us what may be known about him. And as a result, Paul says, man is without excuse. The third indicator I point to you, point you to is that there is a, a groaning in the heart of man because he knows the world is not what it should be. Have you ever silently groaned upon hearing of a mass shooting? Have you mourned the loss of a loved one? As you see children starving around the world, is your heart broken? Have you become angry at the injustices around you? If so, it's because you know this world is not as it should be. Paul David Tripp writes, whether we know it or not, we long for home. We long for eternity. Every sad moment in marriage is a longing for home. Every moment of hurt and concern as a parent is a longing for home. Every cry in the midst of loneliness is a longing for home. Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 talks about a burden that all of us carry in life. We all know that something is not right with the world in which we live. There is so much beauty. There's so much joy and love. And yet at the same time, there is so much evil and sorrow and wickedness and heartache. In our heart of hearts, we all cry out, what's wrong with this world? Well, the Bible confirms exactly what we are feeling. We read in Romans chapter eight, verses 20 and 21 for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This world is not the way it's supposed to be before sin entered the world. This world perfectly reflected God's glory, but now we live in a planet that is under a curse because of sin. Greg Kukul had in his excellent book, the story of reality writes about the kind of perfect world. Our hearts have always longed for, even when we can't quite get it into focus. 
The longing itself, he says, is a clue for us. An ache in our hearts reminding us of the way things used to be. A sign that we were made for something better. Though for the moment we have lost our way. And the hunger for the world to be that way again. God has put eternity in our hearts. And that sweet pain may be evidence of it. A primal memory deep in our souls reminding us of the way the world started. Good, wonderful, whole, complete. God has put into our hearts this knowledge that the world is not as it ought to be. And so this alone is an indicator that he has put eternity into man's heart. The final indicator that I want to point you to builds on the third that I just mentioned. And it is this. There is a restlessness in the heart of man because he knows that there is more to life than the present. That's why we're never satisfied. Why we always seem to be reaching for something more. Something that's just beyond our reach. Just beyond our grasp. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Mere Christianity. Most people, if they had learned to really look into their own hearts, would know that, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. He goes on to say, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling desires to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. The French philosopher Blaise Pascal wrote, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. What is it then that this desire and this inability proclaim to us, but that there was once in man a true happiness of which there now remain it to him only the mark and empty trace, which he in vain tries to fill from all his surroundings Seeking from things absent the help he does not obtain in things present. But these are all inadequate. Because the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object. That is to say, only by God himself. This saying of Pascal's has often been paraphrased in this way. There is within every person a God-shaped vacuum that only God can feel. People try to fill that space with so much stuff. Sometimes you try to fill it with good things like relationships or work or, or the arts, things which are not bad in and of themselves. And sometimes you try to fill them with harmful things like drugs and alcohol, but you're never going to fill it with something else because it is a God shaped vacuum. And only God can fill that empty space within you. 
St. Augustine said something much the same when he wrote, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And so I ask, are you restless? Are you looking for more? Are you striving for something that is just outside of your grasp? Are you seeking something that you just cannot find on this earth? What's the reason? God has placed eternity in your heart. This world in its present form is going to pass away. It's only temporary. It's transitory. We know that this world is not what it should be. We know that there is more to this life. Why? Because God has placed eternity in your heart and in my heart. And so we learn from the scriptures, this reality, this truth. It's evidenced in man's curiosity, his intrigue, his fascination, his wonder concerning the future. It's evidenced in the fact that man is aware and has a general knowledge of God. Where there is a groaning within our heart because we know this world is not what it should be. And because there's a restlessness within us. Because we know that there's more to life than the here and the now. And so in light of that, what are we to do? I suggest to you two things. First of all, recognize your unfulfilled longings for what they are. There is more to this life than just living and breathing and dying. You and I are created in God's image. And you and I will live forever, either in heaven or in hell. And if we want to go to heaven, we must go through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And he said that just after he told his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. You see, Jesus came to this earth. He died on the cross for your sin and for my sin. He is the only one who can bring us to his home, to our eternal destination. But it requires that we humbly surrender ourselves to him. That we acknowledge our sinfulness and how it separates us from a holy God. Where we acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ, that he is the savior of the world. And then in humility, receive that free gift of eternal life. For Paul says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works that no man should boast. You and I would never be able to do enough to earn and merit our salvation. But in order to receive that salvation, we need to humble ourselves and surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. The second thing, if you are a Christian, don't get too comfortable here on earth. Yes, enjoy God's good gifts while you're here. But remember, your citizenship is in heaven. And heaven is your true home. This world is going to pass away. The longings you feel in this life that remain unsatisfied all point you to your true home. Therefore, if you don't get too comfortable here, you can endure disappointments and even suffering because you know that you are a pilgrim on a journey 
and that your true home with God awaits you in the new heaven and the new earth. This place is not your true home. So don't get too comfortable. Enjoy God's good gifts, yes, but invest in heaven. God has placed eternity in our hearts as a magnet to draw us to himself. And if we come to understand that this corrupt and dying world is not the place God intended us to live, then we will search for something else. And that search will lead us to the gospel of Jesus Christ as revealed in the Bible. I want to conclude this morning with these thoughts again by C.S. Lewis. Our heavenly father has provided many delightful inns like motels for us along our journey, but he takes great care to see that we do not mistake any of them for home. There is a longing for home. There is a call deep in the human spirit for more than life can provide. This itch that we cannot scratch is part of God's plan. And so as we reclaim the passion for eternity, it begins by understanding that God has placed within your heart and within my heart, eternity, a curiosity about the future and understanding that this is not our home. There is more beyond, which is life himself, life itself with God. Would you bow as I pray? Father God, I thank you for the hope of eternal life. I thank you that you have given to us that sense of eternity, which is like a magnet drawing us to you. And I pray, Father, that if there is someone here this morning that is trying to suppress, trying to deny, trying to cover it up, I pray, Father, that their eyes would be opened and, and, and that you would reveal to them in a fresh and clear way that that restlessness, that longing in their heart for something more can only be filled by you. And when we walk with you, when we have that relationship with you, we have the hope of eternal life. And so would you do that work in our hearts this morning? Would you renew and rekindle that passion for eternity? Where we would set our sights on things above, not on things that are of this world. That we would invest in heaven and not in the temporal that we would long and look forward to that day when we will spend forever with you. But until then, being faithful to the calling that you have given to us to go and make disciples. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash TBC Swan River. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Temple Baptist Church or search on your favorite podcast app.